Achilles. My christened name. Yeah, don't use the Achilles bit. You don't want to use that? No, I'm very happy to use it, but I'm called James. Christened Achilles James rather than James Achilles. And the last name is Daunt. It's Daunt. And you are the managing director of Waterstones, uh -huh. the largest and the only, the only chain? It's the only chain of any size. substance here. We have an, a small academic chain, Black Corps. Yes. We have the university branches. That's very, that's only academic. Well, yep. they do sell general oh, yeah, yeah, as and well. They, and they have a wonderful shop in Oxford. You took over as the managing director of Waterstones in 2011. Prior to that, you set up, well, it started with one in Marlebone, mm -hmm. uh, an outlet uh, absolutely stunning. The first time I ever came across it was in Tashin came out with a book, and you were in it. Anyway, it's perhaps you could tell me a little bit uh, about that enterprise to start with. Well, I set up Dawn Books when I was pretty young. So I left university, joined a bank. J.P. Morgan? Un unimaginatively, J.P. Morgan, um, simply on the basis that he got me to New York, which sounded pretty fun, and they paid a ludicrous amount yeah. of money even then. Um, Unfulfilling? No, no. I, I find it hugely fulfilling, actually. I'm ashamed to say I fell for it hook, line, and sinker. You're 23 or whatever I was, 22. It, it, it was all very good fun and challenging and demanding. Um, but I had an, a, a, a girlfriend who <coughs> had gone the other way and had joined a, a development charity and she thought it was pants and, and quite rightly said that it was all about money, which is really very dull. And she thought that I ought to do something more interesting with my life, so I left. And join her, yeah. right? In England as opposed to... <laughs> and, and, you know, no, but you, you know, JP Morgan's all over the world, so they don't care where you work. Yeah. Um, so, no, it was simply um, working extremely long hours, however interesting that might be for the individual, um, which it is, um, it's really not great for <laughs> the wider relationship as it was then. And What's so interesting um, about it? Uh, it's you work very hard. You work. You're challenged in a in a in a very. You're given a huge amount of responsibility. And it was actually then it was a very interesting time to be young because uh, IBM came out with the first personal computer, the IBM XT, which was given to the young guys coming in, which, which I was one. Which suddenly meant you were working on projects where the guys older than you were were literally doing it on handheld tap tap calculators. And if you're competing with somebody who's got a PC, <laughs> you're toast. So that generation was pure luck. They rose very quickly mm. to dominate simply because they had the machines. Um, so that's quite fun and exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, so you get a lot of responsibility very young. And, and uh, so it was fun. I enjoyed it. Mm. Um, but I was not, you know, it wasn't compatible with, <laughs> with, a, with a nice domestic life. So I left and then sort of scratched my head about what I was going to do. And I like reading. Um, I like traveling. Um, and I thought about various things to do with traveling, couldn't quite, quite see how they worked, and so I opened up a bookshop. But I was young, I was 24 then. Uh, it took me a little while to, to get it really working, so no money, or very little money. Despite the aristocratic background, or maybe you had a great big house that sapped all the money out of the family, or...? 
No, I think that was a long time ago. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've got, the, you've got the aristocracy that have got these gorgeous yeah, houses. No, 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 that, ain't, houses. that ain't us. My father no. was a civil servant. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so definitely not. Um, yeah, they live in the same house uh, in which I was born. So okay. you know, it's, we're, we're very modest middle class. Um, standard middle but class. But the name Daunt, I mean, you, you do have some interesting Yeah, it's, it's an Anglo-Irish family, but sort of that was all definitely frittered well before um, okay. it, <laughs> it, got, it got to me. Okay. So you weren't father. born with a, a silver no spoon? No silver spoon, sadly. Right. Then, very sensibly, there was, a, there was something called a business expansion scheme. The government gave tax breaks to people who invested in startup businesses, and I went round with a begging bowl, and various people put in a relatively small amount of money, but some capital. Mm. Um, so that's how I set up um, and opened... Uh, in this very nice bookshop on Merriman High Street, beautiful premises, but quite small. Um, and it was a disaster to begin with. Um, and it took about five years to, to, to make it profitable and get it to work. And that was largely around taking on a rent at the top of a retail economic cycle. Then we went into the depression, which we had a retail depression in the uh, sort of precipitated by the Gulf War, first Gulf War. Mm. Um, everything closed down. It was a very bad location and it's difficult to sort of remember now that you know New York was a pretty grimy place mm. back then London was really pretty grimy and Maribyrn High Street was you know we were one of three or four shops that were actually open and trading uh, in 92 93 mm. um of course, that then changed, and London changed, and retail yeah. changed, and Maribyrn High Street changed. Now um, it's a Tony. And now it's a really, you know, yeah. smart shishi place. Yeah. You know, but you know there are plenty of places in New York that I could think of, and no doubt I don't know Canadian cities, but I bet you downtown Toronto, places where you can buy any number of fancy coffees at a huge uh, price, would have given you sort of a beer in a bag if you were lucky um, mm -hmm. back back then. So, you know, life changes. So I set up the bookshop. It was very small. Um, a literary bookshop with a global perspective, distinctive stock, cultured ambience, and informed staff. Yeah, and you know, my, the, the staff, my sort of first employee is still working there. My second employee is actually just retired, but, <laughs> but, but was there until uh, last year when uh, she, had a, she has an older husband, so she's retired. Mm -hmm. So we keep, we have very good long-term staff. We invest in uh, nice people. We're friends as well as colleagues. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a really intelligent, I hope, intelligent shop, um, but not a snobby shop. Shop and you know, taxi drivers. I always think one of the, the marks of whether the shop's doing well is London taxi drivers have badges on them too. And you, so you know who they are. And you know, as long as you've got taxi drivers coming in, as well as all the shishi people in Maribyrn, you're doing all right. And I think we have a very approachable um, shop. It's a, it's a small shop, but, but we then took next door, so becoming a less small shop, but it's still in, you know, compared to a Waterstones or something, it's a small shop, but it does an enormous amount of sales out of it. And it's very friendly, very active, very dynamic, very good stuff. So that's one of the, talking about your role as a bookseller, one of the keys then is to invest in your staff, pick the right staff, I mean that's, mm -hmm. but, but to, to make sure that they're welcoming and accommodating. Yeah, knowledgeable and that they are immersed in, in, you know, you need a culture within your business, within your bookselling business, where you do have very good staff who 
knowledgeable, want to be there, are invested with a with a with a genuine passion. I know it's a very a cliche that's trotted out, but you really need it, yeah. and and are looking out for the customers always. Mm-hmm. And I think certainly at Dawn Books we have that. Wanting to. F- put the right book in the in their hands. Yeah, wanting to put the right book in their hands, not minding who the customer is, not minding actually frankly whether the customer's buying books or not, but want them some to have a very nice time in their shop and do the best by them. Uh, but also are, are energetic as well and are running, you know, events and programs and understanding and, and being able to interpret as people come into their shop who they are, what they're looking for and and also, if you do that right, you become a magnet for all age groups and, and also for authors. And it's, you know, I think one of the things that, that makes Dawn Books work is that it feeds off the energy of its customers. And the customers include a huge diversity of, of ages and ethnicities and includes a lot of, of very talented writers amongst them. And I think being able to feed off that collective energy is hugely important. So we run lots and lots of events. So, but how do you feed off that energy? I think customers, A, because you're, for example, you run, and we've always run a a, a huge events program, so talks, which are um, about building relationships with authors, connecting our customers to those authors, Mm. and that creates an energy. But Mm. those authors also then become our customers. It's a symbiotic um, relationship, and and I think that when you come into the shop, you know something's going on. You know, Mm. everybody's enjoying themselves, the staff are enjoying themselves, customers are enjoying themselves, and I Actually, ironically, I think one of the things that also makes that shop work is it's very small. So, mm. you know, it's quite intense being in there. You go in there on a Saturday, you can hardly move. Right, which isn't the experience around. I necessarily want in a bookstore. No, but You want, I guess, because the more, pe- the more people, the better. I think there's that. I think you, you, you have quiet shops and you have really busy shops, but mm. there is something quite magical about a, a busy shop where you don't feel pressured, where you don't feel hassled, yeah. um, but where everybody's having a good time and enjoying themselves and, 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 and bouncing off each other as much as they are off the staff. You know, we don't have, for example, we have no music in that shop, um, but it feels quite a, quite a sort of a buzzing place because people mm. are talking and, and mm. customers do talk to each other when you when that's provoked and it's going on all the time. Mm. Um, so I, I, I think that shop is pretty special in terms of just the sheer energy going on in it. But I've, but I had then I opened up other shops and they yeah. have very you know I've got neighbourhood shops which are sort of quiet and it's all about sort of knowing you know how the cat's getting on and would did did. Did it go well at the vet that yesterday? And right. has your mum and you know is you know has little Timmy managed to pass his exams and move up and all of those things? And if you're doing it for a very long term, of course, it becomes generational. Certainly at Maribyrn, at the point at which I left it, already those children that I first sold books to had become the adults that I was now selling books to, and that's very special as well. So you're not tired of it. Well, I, I then took on this job, which is a very different job, um, which has sort of taken me away from that kind of you know, day-to-day relationship. I, I used to just work in Maryland. I was right. a shop floor bookseller, and I knew everybody coming in through the door. So um, it was really, for you, it was a social life. Uh, very much so, and I think yeah. good bookshops are. I mean, they are mm-hmm. very, very social places, and yeah. I, I think 
you know, maybe there are a few flagship metropolitan shops where it's not the case, but most bookshops should have a relationship with the people walking through the door. Mm-hmm. With you know, not all of them, because you've got new people, people only passing through, people who only come into a bookshop three or four times a year, but but a core of customers who are visiting you all the time, mm. not, not perhaps daily, but certainly weekly. So you know their name and you know what they read last time, and that's what being a bookseller is. And I think it's hugely rewarding and engaging if 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 that's your your. You know your primary motivation for be, for doing the job. So the reason for its success uh, is to cultivate what we've just talked about. Like you say, that's the main reason. Yes, I think it's all around people. I think it's also around selling books. Um, mm. So certainly at Dawn Books, one of my absolutely sort of key things, which continues in the shop, is we sell books. I mean, we sell a lot of volume, and we uh, like discovering books. And when we discover them and we like them, we sell bucket loads of them, and we will sell a thousand copies of a book. Um, when, as you know, in the United Kingdom, you know, I think an average first novel will sell you know, five, six, seven hundred copies. When you can have a single shop, independent shop, relatively small, that can sell you a thousand copies of something that would otherwise sell very little. And what we so have that a, makes it, that's just proof that you're doing something. Oh yeah, yeah, we do and we've made authors and we've absolutely nailed books time and again and we're well ahead of the curve of, of, of identifying the up and coming writers and who they are and, and I think we've made careers which I think is also hugely satisfying and an important part of what we do mm-hmm. but also our customers like it as well because they know they were they bought some of the very first copies that were sold of, mm-hmm. of authors who are now really successful and substantial. In a way it's you're like a reader of, in a publishing house you, you, you read what comes out and then you your taste is then passed along to the customers, yeah, is that? Well, for sure. I think our great advantage is we don't care who publishes a book. No, we don't no but you've got, you've got anything, a wide we, range of yeah. books to, to yeah, well, read much, and choose Well, much from. wider than a publisher has. Yeah. You know, they're they're mm-hmm. having to fish and take whatever gets on the end of the hook, whereas we can survey the entire thing. And I think it's hugely important for... Uh, booksellers to be reading and reading all the time yeah. and be sort of confident in their judgments. And, and one of the difficulties of chain bookstores is that they're so bad at that. And that was sort of removed from, a, frankly, from any part of the, the, the notion of being a chain bookseller, which, you know, which was all then about relationships with publishers and publishers telling them what they want it sold. Whereas and good bookshops don't do that. P- book, book, Good bookshops treat publishers with extreme suspicion, uh, and they take nothing on trust, and, and they rely on their own uh, instinct and their own taste. So, do you at, at Waterstones? Do you hire people to read all the books, or is that no? I, I mean, for me, it's uh, within a large chain. It's 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 been a slow process of changing the culture within the business. But certainly, it is about devolving responsibility to the local shops to to sell what they want to, to encourage them to read, to encourage them to uh, build the relationships with publishers so they get proofs and they can do the early reading, but mm. also that they buy books and that they they have an inquiry. And we don't stand in their way in terms of what they want. To sell and they you know the the very best of them will do that because uh, you're unambiguously against homogeneity yes uh, and that cookie because, cutter oh it, yeah. it's the, it's the death of a bookshop um, and I, and the, the real death of a bookshop within chains which I think we are the only chain that doesn't do it uh, is 
when there is a commercial relationship with the publisher for selling particular books across the estate. I mean, that's the basic model. Indigo, it'll be that. Barnes & Noble, it's that. It is everywhere, actually. It's you know, foils, which we've now just, just taken into ourselves. Yeah. But foils still gets paid to sell books. Um, what do and, you mean? Well, you get promotional income. You get paid an amount of money to put a book in your window. Yeah, to, for and buying shelf space, basically. Exactly. And, yeah. and I don't think there is a single chain in the world that doesn't do that. Right. Except us. And we used to do it big time. And it, and it was getting rid of that that I think changed the fortunes of Waterstones. Isn't that interesting? So you're, what you're saying then is that each store manager and people at that store you gave them free range to identify what was going to move in that local area and display whatever they thought was going to be the most popular in the most prominent places. Yes, and reorder their books accordingly and accept, and absolutely tacitly accept, that as you do that, whilst you hope that most of your shops and maybe even, well, Many of your shops, maybe even most of your shops, will get better as a result. Some of them will get worse. Okay. And that you have to accept that you're just going to have some dunderheads out there who will make terrible decisions and you'll have terrible bookshops. Mm. And we do have some shockingly awful bookshops. Luckily, if you but don't you, do you it were, well... Do, do you, what do you do then? Do you fire them and bring on yeah, someone else? You, you try and educate them. You try and encourage them to do it more sensibly. Mm -hmm. um, and more intelligently, and you bring them in and you train them, and if they're still doing it badly, you fire them. Or and you move them under good people and you bring in somebody good. Um, and somebody good, again, does what? I think they should, one, care. So they should have a, an enthusiasm. So a lot of it is, is, frankly, whether you care, whether you're looking at your books and you have an affinity for them. And there is a, you can get a very, very long way just on sheer just enthusiasm and, and, a, and a desire to do the job well. Just keep yeah. it tidy and make sure. And then there are the special people who can add an, a magic to that, where they have a genuine talent, either in the way they merchandise books and propose books, the way they recommend them. You can, you can have an absolute dump of a shop looking awful but if you've got the, the personality to drive sales through that it's fine you know I've got, we've got a fabulous shop in Horsham and every time you walk in there you just hold your head in your hands because but some people like that though some people I, oh, yeah, that's no, how no, foils, I love it Foils I love used it. to be like that yeah and this shop I you, know, you do you just think my god why have you got plastic flowers I mean they look awful <laughs> But, but they're not coming in for the flowers. No, and this woman will just recommend a book for you, just bang. And the second you're in there, the place is fizzing, people are talking, she's laughing, the mm. whole place is fun, mm. and she sells, I mean, more than almost anyone. It is the most fabulous bookshop. It's a, a function of her personality. It's entirely her personality. Okay. Now, that in a chain is impossible. Yeah, they walk in and they go, it's a mess, you've got, you're not, no rules are being followed here at all. There's just this history next to fiction, next to, you know, what, what, there's no sense to this. Mm. But it's brilliant because she's got it. She knows why things are there and she uses her personality to bring it all together and she uses her personality to, to inspire a team of booksellers around her. So it's going on even when she's not there. 
And that's one of the Waterstones. Yes, that's yeah, the okay. Horsham Waterstones. Yeah. It's the most amazing bookshop. Except it's, it's a bit run down, it's a bit messy, it's mm. a bit all those things. Mm -hmm. But but don't, don't clean oh, it up, you'll do freak not. out all the customers. Yeah, and, and above all, leave her and just don't get in her way. Yeah. Let her do whatever <laughs> she wants, because she's brilliant. And, and I think it is that allowing these people to, these booksellers who have a real talent and a real desire to, to just give it to their customers, give them the freedom to do so, mm -hmm. and accept that, you know, we do have some shockers as a result of doing that when they're not very good, and it, and it will bite you in the back, but you can't and you shouldn't mess with the Horsham person in order to stop having a Leicester or one of our other, you know, cleaner ones. Well, just boring, frankly. They're boring because the people don't really know what they're doing or they're just not very good at it and they're not reading enough or they go, you know, they're, they're siloed in their tastes or they, you know, it's... There are all sorts of reasons why you can run a bad bookshop and I'm sure you've been into many bad bookshops. And I think our job within a chain is to use the power of a chain to train, to motivate, to promote and to allow the eccentricities and the personalities that are positive to come through mm -hmm. and just be sensible about those ones where you know, they either don't care or they're really just so up their intellectual backside so they, they're getting it wrong. Mm -hmm. You say train, what's, what's, the, what's the key training sort of... Uh, I think good, good book selling can be trained by which I mean um, there are skills, there is a science to bookselling that can be taught. Um, like what? Like, like merchandising. Um, how do you merchandise? What are the principles behind merchandising? Um, by which I mean, how do you display a book? I mean, one of our simple things is you know, display your books, get them as, as the most interesting way you can, and then borrow a pair of glasses from somebody. So I could borrow my glasses from you, which will then fuzz out all the titles, because then I can't see it, mm. but it keeps all the color. And what does that look like? You're very visual, aren't you? Oh, yes, yeah. Bookselling is visual. Bookselling is 100%, or I think a huge amount about it, is exciting the senses as well as the intellectual mind. You want people, they're coming in, you want them to look at the right books, be grabbed by the right books, be But you can't change the color of the book. You have to you pick no, you move books that are red, for example, and well, you put them there, and the blue ones, maybe not right at the entrance. Well, I can, but I can take... An, a table of 30 titles and I can set it up in a really boring way and I can set it up in a really exciting way. Okay, Same so how, how's exciting then? It's the color juxtapositions, it's the way that you've offset the different titles, it's the way that one title is leading to another title. It's about both, it's an intellectual thing that you're trying to excite and there's a visual thing. So the visual is put on the glasses and see, does it, does it really still grab you, mm -hmm. if you put all the white books next to each other, it'll be really boring. They all morph into one another. You can't pick it out. Mm. So you've got to do that, and you've got to do, oh, well, why does that book lead on to that book? And then there is a particular sort of special subject, uh, really sort of university standard bookselling, which says you put that book there to sell that book. And if that one's there, it'll, you'll sell more of that one. <laughs> and if it's not, you won't. What? And this is proven, is it? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. 30 years of doing it, you definitely, if you want to sell a... You know, Did you, you learn this from the groceries uh, business? No, because... uh, you learn it from being a bookseller for 30 okay. years. Okay. 
if you if you would sell books for seven days a week for thirty years, you'll get there in the end. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a, a kind of a guidebook that says you put this book here and this book there, and you're going to sell more. Yeah, we have sessions with people about how you know, how do you sell a book, mm -hmm. and there are rules around that that are, if you follow them, you will do it better. Never recommend more than three books. As soon as you recommend the fourth book, the first one disappears. Well, if you started with the best one, <laughs> just stop. Yeah. Work on it. Always try it. You know, simple thing is, when somebody comes in, recommending me a good book. Well, what was the last good book you read? Yeah, if good. you don't ask that question, what are you going to do? Yeah. You don't want to know. You don't want my taste. I want to know what's in your head. Yeah. Yeah. What's the last book? And if you go, ah. Oh, it was a John Grisham, his last one. It was just amazing. Well, I know where to go now. And if you say a spy novel, I know where to go. And if you say it was Barbara Kingsolver, I know to go somewhere else. But until you tell me, I don't know. Because I'm, I'm not in, I'm, I'm trying to sell you the best book for you. Right. Whereas a lot of our books, those particularly younger ones, they want to sell their favorite books. Well, and, and that's they, a big mistake. And typically you'll see that, the yeah. staff's picks. Yeah. Do, you, do you do that? or? Yeah, no, we, yeah. we definitely do that. And, and my new staff picks, A, they have to be good books. Because one of our things is if you, give, if you sell people good books, they're back quite quickly because you read good books quickly. Mm. But then it's just making sure you get the good book into the right person's hand because one person's good book is not another person's. No, no. And that's the skill of it, constantly. And yes, you know, I, uh, at Dawn Books, actually, we don't do the, you know, the, the staff recommends, which we do a lot of at Waterstones. But what we do use is, is display to, to do that. We put things up. But we're always theming them so that you should know which... You should sit, hit a table and then move straight on or be locked in there. So they're all very closely themed, mm -hmm. trying to say, right, well, if that doesn't interest you, does that, and lead you through. Also so that you can find your way around a shop subliminally. And Dawn Books, as, as, as you may or may not know, has got very little signage. So we have something called fiction and we have something called non-fiction. <laughs> yeah, and okay. we have bays of books, which are all the books we don't stop, but which we know people like to buy. Mm -hmm. We have all sorts of, but we don't obviously call it, we just call it non-fiction. So we don't use, but what we're always trying to do is use the books to lead you on. Yeah. So that you know where you are and you should, you should intuitively, from the way we've set the shop up, you should know where to go, which is quite a difficult thing to do, but it's all about using covers, using the progression of, of, of your subjects. And you never, never have a clash, move people through. And, and it, it should allow a kid to find their way around a shop really quickly and easily. So do you have advice to publishers about what kind of covers they should, should use to help you sell them? A bit, yeah. Particularly if, if there are books we care about and they've got terrible covers, then we definitely feed that back. Um, but you know, Yeah, for example, like if you can, Waterstones is so big that you can say, I don't like that cover, we're not going to sell that cover, yeah. we want to sell another cover, yeah. and here's what we think the cover should be, because uh, we uh, think we can sell more. Yeah. Or rather, when you've present that to me, which is, I'm, I'm really not, you know, not, you know, I'm taking a very small number of that. Come back with a better cover and I'll take a lot more. Okay. And that would encourage them to come back with a better cover. Hmm. But, you know, I, you know, generally speaking, frankly, that's a relatively rare thing and it's only with really important books that matter where you're going, oh my God, you know, I really was wanting to sell a lot of that book. Hmm. And, and, 
you know, publishers sometimes do change them and sometimes they tell us to get stuffed. And that's fine. Yeah. We'll get on with it <laughs> best we then, can. Then you can just say, I told you so. And you know, sometimes we're wrong and sometimes they're wrong. Um, Waterstones was acquired by a hedge fund, Elliott Advisors, this year. And a hedge fund, you don't really know who, who owns that. Yeah, we do this one. <laughs> it's a gentleman called Paul Singer. He's, okay. He's, he's, it's, so it's, it's just one person? Uh, it was set up by this guy, Paul Singer, who is one of the great sort of maestros of the hedge fund world. Um, like George Soros, there are a few of them around who are, you know, it's their company. It may be 15 billion or 50 billion or whatever it is, but there's a guy there. Um, okay, that's so I think good in this know. in this case it's it's yeah, I mean it's and he's, big a, and, he's a book lover. Uh, no, I mean in fact it's his, but it, no, but it's his company. In fact, it's this is we've been bought by the London office, so it is at one remove to him. No, I mean he's he's a lover of making money. Well, exactly. I mean, I and I guess uh, Alexander Mahmoud Mahmoud. Mm -hmm. He. He wasn't a book. Was he a book lover? Uh, in fact, he did have a have a great emotional attachment to books and interest and intellectual engagement with books. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I, I think that helped him see that buying Waterstones could make him a decent turn. Whereas, you know, this was and, and remember, it was a bus business. It was yeah. literally closing the next day. I mean, literally, not sort of closing, but literally. I didn't know that. So if he hadn't bought it, seven a.m. Boom, toast, closed, goes the way of borders. It is kind uh, of funny that, that a, a Russian billionaire has really saved. A, he saved UK books. Yeah, I mean, there's something wonderful about that. But then you look at what's going on in Russia. Well, I think, you know, that, I think it's more, look what's going on in the United Kingdom. I mean, we are going through Brexit, we're going through an insular period, we're going through a period where outsiders are bad, we mm. want to be, you know, only... The whole world is going things. through that, though. And, yeah, yeah, but, and then you've got, you know, it was, luckily, we were at a period when London was very international and very open, and this guy saved UK bookselling. Uh, he wouldn't be saving it today because we wouldn't, actually even probably let him in the country. I mean, it's just an insanity the way this country is going, um, let alone the rest of the world, but this country has no excuse. Um, and we are going through a, a, a catastrophic failure of political leadership. Anyway, yeah. luckily... No, no, it's come up in every single conversation that I've had in the last number of days. Yeah, and, and I think we as booksellers, it's also we, we one of our roles in life, you're saying, you know, why do we do it? We do it because we like selling books, we like making authors, you know, one of the things also we like is civilizing the society in which we live, and mm. I think that's a very important part. We have values, we have um, political opinions, we are definitely left of center, we are believe in inclusion, we believe in all, we are a money-making business, we're a capitalist business, not not in any way denigrating that, but mm. we are also a civilizing force and we really don't like what's going on in the world at the moment and we should campaign and be very vocal about that. And I think that our customers share our values to a very large degree and to the extent that we can broaden that, it, it's an important part of what we do. So why didn't your customers go out and vote against uh, leaving then? I think most of our customers did. Um, right. But there are an awful lot of people who aren't our customers um, who didn't. And, and also in the United Kingdom, we've got, we have a very strange 
um, you know, and, I, and I, maybe that's what's going on in, in other parts of the world at the moment. But our society had n was not a, 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 was not a fair one, and there are too many have-nots and too few haves, and, and that gulf and a lot of what has gone on has just created a, a large number of people who feel very marginalised and and uncared for. And yeah. I think that's again one of the the things that our society. Well, it's capitalism. It to, and it's that's what capitalism does. Very large does. parts of what capitalism does, but it doesn't need to actually. And and I think again, one of our things as, as booksellers and yeah, as problem, you know, getting the word stuck in my mouth. But but as as purveyors of thoughts and ideas and, and rationality, we should be helping that. Amazon, after destroying the other chains, mm -hmm. um, seems to be easing off the big discounts on books. That. I don't know. I think Amazon, Amazon is a very rational um, organization. I think that it, it maintains a, a differential in price between which, and, and, and it's perhaps as much what we're doing, and they're just coming up behind. They will always keep the difference. They will always undercut us. They will always um, be hugely effective and competitive uh, force in the market. If there is some slightly less discounting, which there is slightly less, I think that's perhaps just because they don't need to, they don't feel quite the pressure. It's an algorithm, I don't think. Mm. But, you know, they're still unbelievably cheap. Um, they're not making any money at what they do, I don't suppose. Well, they're, they're putting people out of business. That's their first, oh, well, they're, that's they're, their first that's goal. Is, and they've achieved that. And, they, and, and maybe they're realizing that the price isn't going to do it with us anymore, certainly in this country. Um, because you've got a wonderful experience that you're offering and more intelligence. Well, we're also a very unusual chain that, that's acting like an independent. So you mm -hmm. can't actually get hold of us. We're a bit of a slippery squid that's, you know, <laughs> how on earth do you get hold of us? Because we don't yeah. press the same in all our shops. In fact, every single... So we didn't just devolve uh. responsibility in terms... But the bit that I think when I joined that, that my colleagues found most difficult, I said, fine, we're stopping all of this national pricing. You can price whatever you think is sensible. And they really struggled with that. And they, the they struggle with that kind of freedom? Oh, my God. And, and I do, and I still get it, which is people say, it was so much easier when you told us what to do. Yeah, but you don't want easy, you want... Well, <laughs> yeah, but... No, but, no, but, but you, I mean, don't you think that that gives them more control over their own... Like, you're giving them control over their own little business is what you're doing. Exactly. Um, but it's not easy. Um, <laughs> and... You mean it was just they, they just wanted to mail it in and that was... Well, that, that is how, you know, so, so a BNN or an Indigo, you know, the, the email comes in and it says the price of the books this week is and, and then you look at it and you go around your shop and you sticker everything up and this you know, you've got to change all around. Yeah, you know, a robot, is, a robot could do that. Yeah, and, and it's, I, I would have thought, I mean, I just want to shoot myself if I had to do that. Yeah. So I'm not, definitely not going to ask my people to do it. But then when you say to them... Yeah, just whatever you think. <laughs> then they go, no, but 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 hang on a minute. What do we think? Um, right. And and it's it isn't easy actually. You know, what price do you sell? Yeah. This book at well, you've got, um, the publishers have put the price on it. You get to discount. Yeah, but it. then you discount it. Right. So do you discount everything? Do you discount nothing? Do you discount in between? And the, mm -hmm. and the result is that it's taken probably the. I think we we settled down about two years ago, so it took five years for people to begin to work out what to do. And we now discount very differently in different shops 
in our mass marketplaces, we discount a lot. I mean, like 20, 25% average discount. And our most up, in our smartest shops, zero. And every single point in between. Hmm. So if you're Amazon trying to work out where to play your algorithm, <laughs> what do you you're do? You're screwing with their algorithm. What do you do? You can't. <laughs> and if you walk in one day, it's at one price, and the next day, it's at another price. You know? Uh, but I think our customers understand it. Mm -hmm. They, some some people really don't want cheap books. Some people really do. Some well, people want some sorts of books to be cheap, but not other sorts. And I think it's about the bookseller to really work that one out. I, one of the publishers I talked to just in the last few days has said that uh, you're able to, or you do see the value in books. You don't like books are not overpriced. They're priced. They're a good deal. And I think our bit is to say, I, I don't actually believe that. I think that it depends who the customer is. Mm -hmm. And we should, if we've got somebody who really, you know, just really just can't afford, a, but wants to buy, but perceives the value of a book being less than the price stuck on it by a publisher, then we have to make that happen. Mm, but the customer yeah. who's very happy, it's a £20 book, that's fine. We don't need to do anything. And I think that allows giving the bookseller that freedom to do it is, mm. has, has actually changed the dynamic and also changed the dynamic vis-a-vis -vis Amazon in particular, which is why we stabilized it. And I think we needed to stabilize that perception of value, which is different, and mm. do it differently up and down the land, but also even down to the individual do it differently. Mm -hmm. Why do you discount bestsellers? Like, I mean, if there's a huge demand for a book, why, why are you discounting it? Um, I think there's a general perception of what's fair um, among customers. And I think with the very biggest books, there is, because they're half price in the supermarkets, they're half price on Amazon, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. can buy them everywhere because that is the nature of a bestseller. It is available everywhere. Then it's just a bit galling to pay twice as much in the bookshop. Yeah, you pretty well have so, to follow up the, the supermarkets or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. with the big, big books. That there is a general perception, for example, that you know that yeah, Michelle Obama will come out. Boom. I saw that you got fifty percent off on that. Yeah. but the Michelle Obama, you can pre-order it on Amazon. There's huge. You know, Amazon's one of its most effective things has been to to drum up the pre-orders at mm -hmm. half price or below. Right. Uh, we just need to match that. Frankly, if you're prepared to sign up now to have a book at half price, if we don't do that for you, you'll go to Amazon. And by doing it, we're we're finding now we're we are getting the first day sales, which we were really getting hammered on. We're no longer being hammered on. But you, and you still make 5% or yeah, you, whatever? You, you still make a bit. You don't yeah. make a lot. But, you, but most importantly, you're keeping people in your bookshops right. and, and you're conditioning them to buy the books from us, not, not, them. not them. Yeah. You've, you've talked about um, vigilance, instinct, passion... I think there's an interesting moment going on within bookselling now, which is where does, which obviously as somebody who leads a chain bookstore, I'm, I'm <laughs> focused on in, in, in particular, which is sort of what is the, why do we have chain bookstores? Should we have chain bookstores? What's the purpose of a chain bookstore? Mm. And, and you, sort of looking five, ten years ahead, where will chain bookshops be? Because in the United Kingdom, at least, generally in, in most metropolitan areas even, there only are 
chain bookstores. Uh, the independent sector is extremely small. Mm. Um, it's in London, and then it's in small towns. That's it. There's nothing in between. There's no independent bookshop in uh, any of our secondary cities. So mm. uh, almost none outside. So London. Well, Bath is a secondary. That's so. That's, well, that's a, different, though, because it's no. A, well, if you name, I can name you the independent bookstores of which Mr. Top, B's and Toppings are. Yeah. Daunt Books. Sando, Hayward Hill, mm. but you're gonna you're gonna run through those. Once you got through your hands, you're you're struggling a mm. bit. You could just about get to your toes, and then you stop. You know, there really are very few, and most of our independents now are in very small towns, mm. just because they can afford the rents and the rates. And but they're running really really small bookshops. Proper, I mean that's that's not 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 the right word, but. But range holding, stock holding, independent bookshops are now a, a rarity in the United Kingdom. So we need the chain. But then, if the chain is failing, as it is pretty much everywhere in the world, actually, irrespective of whether Amazon is present in that market or not, uh, if you if you if you go around the world, you can go to markets where Amazon doesn't exist and where there's price maintenance, and the chains are in big trouble. And I think chain bookselling and that, and we've talked about that, that notion of the single planogrammed, identical cookie-cutter shop, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work anywhere. And, and we've slightly confused ourselves that maybe Amazon was doing this to us or the fact that pricing is doing it to us, the internet, or pricing and or pricing, or the combination of the two. It isn't. It's actually that chain bookshops are just rubbish. But they're briefly alluring when they're new, when you build a new chain, because it's just so big and glossy and shiny, it's quite exciting, and it's well, just full of books as well. Yeah, I mean, but I, as I, it gets degraded and and the you get this dispirited workforce in a in a physical environment, which is getting a bit older, and then then you then you're dead, uh, and it's that that I think chain book selling around the world is apart from the Far East where they're still building shiny new ones, mm. but the basic premise of the chain bookstore doesn't work. And that's because they don't have an energized staff. Don't have an energized staff. Don't have a the basic proposition of a, of an identikit. They don't have a local. Doesn't work. You've got to be able to, and you can do it. Maybe Indigo is is actually one of the ones that's interesting, which has sort of perverted the definition of a bookshop. Well, yeah, and that's the, the joke. Is you know you have to really look hard to find the books. But but sort of in a way that's right because they've said okay well my thesis would be well they've said well you know well this this sort of cookie cutter thing doesn't work so we'll, we'll go and put in the front of our shops and, and the basic proposition stuff that does work if you planogram it and which you know is, what if they're gonna if they're gonna do if if we if that's the price of keeping them yeah and it's and great. it's clever and in, in in a way i think that's rather clever so mm -hmm. you know maybe that is and i think they're really a model actually of of <laughs> you you're either gonna have to go down my way of anarchy and yeah. just <laughs> let, them, let it rip and yeah. see if we can yeah. see if we can keep the kind of a herd of cats a herd of independent cats yeah which has its own problems or you actually need to go so i think for me they're the other people who've really come up with an answer to how on earth do you redefine a chain bookshop mm. to be something sensible right well something that's going to stay alive yeah stay alive and, and, and make a reasonable and, profit and keep people coming in and enjoying it yeah self-effacement is the flip side of your self-belief 
from? Where does that come from? I'm not sure where that <laughs> came from. But I, my question is, is that because your father was a diplomat? I, I don't think so. I, I think you, you are your own personality. I think I'm not uncommon. In fact, I think I'm, I'm amongst the vast majority of booksellers in, in being very introverted. I think mm -hmm. many, many booksellers, if not most, are very introverted, and, and I, I can see why we which like. Goes, which sort of goes against your your idea of creating energy and being. Uh, but you could. But introverts have energy. They're no, not, but I mean they. they but, then, but they are self-effacing, and yeah. and they are the orchestra. You know, they're the conductor and the orchestra, they're not the guy up on the stage. Mm. And I think mm. that's what many booksellers are. They are orchestrating it. And yes, there's, there's a. You know, the people playing up on the stage is something else, and I'm certainly one of those very introverted. Um, but you know, within my own shop, I'm very confident in what I do, and there's, there's introverts are not lacking in confidence. No, but, no, um, they just don't like to show off or strut their stuff, and I think that's also important. I think it, in terms of how I like running a business as well, it's all about trying to you know, encourage other people to do stuff rather than you know, try and. Inevitably, I do things like this, which require one to sort of slightly you know, mouth off. But but that isn't well, and also put up with really personal questions like that last one. Yeah, I mean, I, I and but I I sort of sit there and and but I think we are a, you know generally we're we're quite a quiet folk and we're a, we're a quiet tribe of people. Yeah, that's why, as I say, that whole thing about uh, an energized, really social social. Maybe Beehive didn't really fit with my like. I, when I go to a bookstore, I don't want people bugging me. I just want to go there no, and look but, at the but, books. But actually, if you go back, what I was saying is is the energy of our customers. It's mm. the energy is so when it's not the showing off and the strutting of, of the booksellers. It's mm. it's the energy that comes from having customers, people reading, enjoying themselves. You, know, you, can, you can get an energy just from a place that's where people are enjoying themselves. Mm -hmm. so yeah. it's, it's not the, the, the flamboyance and the noise that I'm referring to. I think it's just that sort of sense of excitement that you get from coming in places where it's been really looked after and it's clever and it's bright and it's vibrant and, and people are enjoying themselves, by, by which I mean not sort of singing songs and <laughs> yeah, right. tapping, doing tap dances, <laughs> just opening up books and... Yeah, yeah, and, and, and really experiencing pleasure. Yeah. Uh, this isn't directly to do with, with book selling, but it, the fact that the... Now, she's going to be a wealthy woman, but the, but the recent uh, Booker Award winner used prize money to pay off a debt. And there's a similar sort of situation with the, the Giller Prize in Canada. Um, it just uh, speaks to the what? The fact that the income for writers has gone income down of writers in the last has, has ten twenty years gone, which is a function of what? the the structure of the publishing industry to a degree, because the publishing industry itself has prospered mightily, and and parts within it have definitely. I mean, if when I, when I first started bookselling, and indeed you know for quite a long time um, after I started bookselling to go and visit the publishing companies, you would go to the extremities of London. You'd go down to World's End, which is the end of the King's Road, down in Fulham. Um, you know, you have to bicycle everywhere. It's, you know, it's a long old bicycle ride. You want to go and see... Yeah. Hardly, but um, if you wanted to see Weidenfeld Nicholson, so the Hachette breeders, you had to cross the river and go to the 
back end of Clapham and find a scrappy office. You, 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 you went to, the, the smartest was Penguin, who were sort of off the back and round the back of, of Kensington High Street, which wasn't actually as smart as it sounds. Mm. Now it's really easy. You just go mm. down the Thames and you go to one marble palace and then you can walk down and you get a view of St Paul's and Houses of Parliament and then you can go across the other side where you get a different sparkling view. The most expensive real estate in London. Before yeah. the big ones are in the palaces, that's what seventy percent of our trade. Yeah, okay. <laughs> They're in palaces. That's right. who pays authors. Yeah. Then you drop down the pecking order, and you you really drop, bump, and you yeah. get to no. Nah, and the smaller guys are in Bloomsbury, but they're in pretty genteel, as you know. And you know Bloomsbury, <laughs> doing quite nicely, thanks yeah. very much. Yeah. So they're doing all right, and the agents are doing pretty all right, but the authors aren't, and it's part of the sort of all or nothing element to it. Um, you know, sales are concentrated perhaps in 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 ways that they weren't before the. So in other words, it's a, bit like, it's a bit like society. There's it a is. very small percentage of authors that are super rich, and yeah. most of them are relatively poor, is that it? And the, clearly Kindle has concentrated, you know, if you do well commercially, then the Kindle sales will come as well, so, you know, the royalties that come from that, which are... So it's, it, 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 it's difficult for an author to make a living, and too much is published. That's, they've been saying that. That Jeffrey Faber was saying that in the twenties. Oh yeah, I mean, in, in, they've been saying it for for forever. Um, certainly, the thirty years I've been bookselling, and we've been saying exactly the same. And we've also been saying Christmas comes later, which mm. is one of the most absurd things. <laughs> we can't be coming later for the thirtieth year in a row, <laughs> but that's certainly what we always say. What should we as booksellers be doing? And I think one of our responsibilities is to identify upcoming new authors to mm. read and discover and promote. And you certainly um, are doing that. I was just looking at your list here. I mean, this is, you've got, you've got a whack of, of authors that are reading at, at the and store many, just many, here. many of which you've never heard of as well. I have some, some of which you have and no. um, some of which you think, goodness me, that'd be lively. Story. Yeah, I just yeah. saw that, yeah. <laughs> So, and, and authors also have to work really hard. They're doing festivals, they're doing these events, and you know, you're looking a little one, but you know, Helena Kennedy uh, was last night in my bookshop in Maribyrn High Street in Don Books. Mm -hmm. you know, you, um, he was in, in Don Books. You know, people are working He's really a hard. Politician, right? He's a yeah. Yeah, former politician. Yeah. Yeah. Um, new book on, on France. Um, authors having to work hard. But, but the ones who are working hard, I think, are probably doing just about all right. The Anna Burnses of this world who write you know, books of, of you know, quite narrow intellectual uh, interest will sell a few thousand copies, and the, the royalties don't cascade down from a few thousand copies. So you're, you're saying from your perspective, what you can do is offer them a forum to... Um, we, we, I think it is one of our responsibilities is, is to try and not fail the really good book, but also not. we are about curating, so to the extent that the book isn't quite right, I'm afraid I don't think that, that you know, that's not something that we should shy away from, from saying. We have our own problems within our industry and which should pay within in book selling and retail book selling is just abysmal. And unless we can sort that out, which is very much sort of, I, f I feel is the most, the biggest challenge that I'm facing at the moment is, how, is do I, how do I raise booksellers' salaries? The, the people that the, the 
work in work the workshops. The floor and, yeah. yeah. And yeah. we are a retail well, trade. Well, for you to do that. You just take less profit. Uh, you, you have to make the profit to, to run. You, you, you have to make a profit to survive. You then, as you make more profit, have to share that with your staff. Mm. Otherwise, there's going to be a problem. You can't just, as you get more profitable, assuming you can get more profitable, you can't mm. just trouser that. Mm-hmm. But bookselling has never been profitable, mm. really. And at any point, Len Riggio might have made a bit of money out of it, but he probably made it more out of the other sides of his business. So how do we, how do we uh, increase the profitability of the business and reinvest a lot of that in our staff? And I think mm-hmm. there is a virtuous cycle to be had there. If you invest more in your staff, you'll keep them and you'll retain them and you'll have a better motivated. And that's certainly the Dawn Books yeah, model. I was just about to say, yeah. yeah. Absolutely the Dawn Books model. Mm-hmm. Pay people well, keep them, give them real proper careers, allow them to do all the things, the aspirational things that these very intelligent, middle-class dedicated professional people should aspire for and if mm. you can deliver that then you'll keep them and you'll sell more and, the, and it is a virtuous cycle yeah. within a chain that hasn't happened yet and we, we have to do that it's beginning to and we're definitely beginning to deliver back to our staff and, and it is definitely having a positive impact so that's but we got goal. a way to go that's uh, definitely the goal and so you're committed to sticking it out with Waterstones for the next 10 years I will stick it out until I'm it, well, until I'm told to do it differently to the way I'm doing it, because I only have plan A. <laughs> there it's is good. no plan B. <laughs> well, plan B is don't books. It's plan B. Because you still books. own them, right? Exactly. And is, is there, incidentally, is there any kind of conflict of interest there? Is the fact that you're getting all sorts of interesting insider information through Waterstones? Oh, no, no, it all flows the other way. There's nothing interesting about Waterstones. Nothing. Um, there's a lot that's interesting about Dawn Books. And I think, you know, one of the challenges, how do you make Waterstones much, much more like Dawn Books? So that's the plan A. There is no other, and and as you say. But if I must compromise that, I'll just say, no, thanks very much. Um, Well, and you're fortunate to be in that position. And I'm fortunate enough to be in that position. And I'm fortunate enough also just the the generational accident of being part of my generation, you know, which is, you know, we bought houses when they were cheap and all of those kind of things. Yeah. And it is desperately unfair for this current generation. Yeah, yeah it really yeah. is. The, so difficult for them to, to achieve what we did. It is madness. You dropped the apostrophe for IT reasons. I'm not quite sure. I, to, to, to be honest, we dropped the apostrophe because I'd arrived at Waterstones then changing an immense amount working quite hard and quite tired and they said we want to drop the apostrophe and I went it's just whatever I don't care mm. actually I shouldn't I should have said why I mean why it's just stupid mm. anyway we did it, the reason, real reason I should have stuck to my guns is it's ugly it was so much nicer I mean look at it it should have an apostrophe it was much more yeah, attractive with it, one. it's true isn't it yeah it just looks there's something wrong with it but, yeah. there's, but it, it, it is annoying to type it well Anyway, um, yeah. Why don't you put it back? <laughs> we, we, it, if you go around the shops, we we <laughs> put. It, I, I hate spending money, mm. so we don't. We're trying, and I do get have a real temper tantrum when I find that it's been taken away. When somebody spent money to take it away, so generally it exists, but but it is much easier. You, you have one thing, so the machine only has one, which doesn't have it. Mm. Um, and I sort of got used to it now. So. Okay. But as long as you don't think it was a good idea, because it wasn't. <laughs> no, I don't like it. 
No, mm. I don't know. Me, me neither. We talked about regional buying, and apparently that reduced returns from 25 to 7%. Is that right? I think we're about three now. So, just so I'm clear, you, get to, you would get to return whatever you want. Is that right? But you're, you're down to 3%. That's really helpful for the publishers. Well, it's, about, it's a yeah, function of you really buying too much. Or, um, well, returns are simply a measure of bad buying. The more returns that a buyer has, the more likelihood he's not going to hang around the, the company. Well, it's, it's, we, we, the, the industry is addicted to it, and it still goes on everywhere else. I mean, we just bought files, and you know, they have 15% returns. Mm. It's just insanity. Mm. Uh, Dawnbooks has zero. We don't return. We return event stock and dated guides. That's it, which is zero. We'll get Waterstones to zero reasonably soon. But the, the real problem with and the pernicious side of, of, well, there are lots of bad things about returns, is it puts, it results in books sitting in front of customers until they're returned that they just don't want to buy. Yeah. So there's <laughs> a lot of Wasted books sitting space. there. But just, the, you, you end up filling up shops with the books people don't want to buy, mm. which is insanity. Mm. It's really dispiriting work for booksellers and lots of work, you know, packing them up, sending them back. 25% returns, which is what I came into, is they've all come in and then they want to turn around and go out. It's, it's like 50% of your workload is dealing with stuff that you never sell, apart from the environmental... Well, they, they the remain to them, I guess, do they? Uh, publishers remain to them. Yeah. Publishers yeah. actually don't mind returns and they're more worried about them being dropping. You know, there's, there's they're more worried what? About them disappearing because then they'll say, well, we won't take risks. Sorry, you're losing me here. Um, publishers like returns because they see them not as a measure of failure, but as a measure of taking risk. So they would like new book, something, you know, they got the new Anna Burns. If you take enough and spread it out that, I might sell them. And if you don't, and, and if, unless you're taking those risks and putting that stock out there, right. They I don't have a chance. They're, they're gi you're giving that book as much opportunity as, as possible. That's and it, even if it doesn't sell, you've given it a good opportunity. You've given it a good go, and then yeah. you send the books back. Right. And okay. given that the, the actual you know, cost of producing books is relatively low, that's something that they wish to see. So as they've seen returns rates drop, mine is that we should be able to do that without having returns simply through the merchandising, through the dis proper display of books. And actually, to put a book face out, you only need one. Mm, yeah. you, know, right? you don't need ten. <laughs> yeah. And since you shouldn't be putting on a table an unknown, unproved book at all, in fact, what you do is you put the one out there and the nine sit at the back and then you send them all back. And that's just a waste of everybody's time and money. Mm -hmm. but, we, but we've got it now pretty much under control. But I... My internal thing is we just need to get rid of them and until we do, our buying processes aren't working properly. And I don't think our, our buying processes are sort of halfway to where they ought to be um, and we are about to change them again. Uh, this might be a bit dated, but you, you, you want to get back into airports? Are you already back into airports? Is there some big We're contract? Not, or? Um, w. H. Smith dominate travel, what we call travel, so that's railway stations and uh, airports. Yeah. Um, I love selling books wherever I can, yeah. so yes, I'd like to be there, but they, they the economics of it have to work. I don't like selling books at a loss. Mm -hmm. um, and 
we don't really have experience of it yet, so our ability to sort of know what to bid is rather less than theirs, and, mm-hmm. and the incumbent always has an advantage. Mm-hmm. But Waterstones used to sell lots of books in airports, and it was a big part of the business, and then mm-hmm. it got my predecessors lost it. Okay. And, I, and I would very much like to get back in there, mm-hmm. just because I like selling books. The, uh, it's interesting, just my experience here in London, I, I've noticed that uh, Marks and Spencers and uh, Tesco have these little express stores. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you've thought about doing something like that, like having little express water stones. Well, our smallest shop 700 square foot, and this is 50,000, so we, we're, we're running the whole gamut. gamut. And we run, um, we run unbranded shops. Um, which I get castigated for periodically. So our smaller shops are not called Woodstones. They're called the local, wherever they are, Southwell Books, Rye Books, Upton oh. Books. Um, and the, 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 the logic behind that is that I think a Woodstones has a certain size. There's an expectation within a Woodstones that you're going to find all the things that you do find within Woodstones in terms of it will have a section for everything mm-hmm. and that that's a nonsense when you get down to a very small size which is why I never opened up small shops I've opened up a lot of small shops since I joined mm-hmm. uh, I obviously have a heritage of, of being a small shop bookseller um, but calling them Waterstones was a bit of a nonsense um, it was also when I was going through a period of really trying to shake Waterstones and say you know you've got to be think of your shops as your own and, and genuinely you know, workers, you know, we've been talking all over about that. Mm. Uh, and, and a small anecdote for you. When I first joined, I was going, well, why have we got a uniform? Because we did. You know, everybody wore a uniform. Oh, no. Uh, Cookie cutter uniform. Uh, black, black with a W. And everybody wore it. And I said, yeah, let's stop the uniform. And they went, nah. Because our customers won't know who the booksellers are. Booksellers said no for all sorts of reasons. One, our customers won't be able to understand who we are. B, you don't pay us enough to afford our own clothes, and it's a dirty, mucky job. So uh, you're not saving money on me. It's all about you know, all sorts of reasons. Nobody came out of uniform, and in fact, I had to beg the woman I've already mentioned in Horsham, who runs the mad shop, um, to just come out of uniform, and she said no. But then. You know, she was as much part of this culture where you couldn't, but she did, slightly reluctantly, and said it's fine. And that was in June, two years after I had started the campaign to get them out. I never tell people to do anything here. I try and persuade them to. And then Ormskirk, which is a tiddly, about the smaller shop as we got outside Liverpool, really ordinary shop, came out of uniform in September. And in October, the rest of the estate came out. Can you explain that to me? The rest of the estate meaning so what? 280 shops came out of uniform. That's a pretty influential little shop in Liverpool. It was that Horsham went, and they, it's a still a chain, and they know I've been saying it, but they also know they've got their regional managers, and they also have a history of if you do something wrong, it's, you get shot. They thought, well, she's mad. She gets away with everything because she's a brilliant bookseller. We'll stay tight. Ormskirk comes out of uniform, and everyone goes, that's a crappy little shop. <laughs> they haven't shot them. We'll come out of uniform. 
and they all came out and lo and behold and we had a thing where you'd have a few individual booksellers within shops still with their uniforms I haven't seen a uniform now in in months. But what about the argument that it's cheaper for them to wear that than well, their own nonsense. clothes? That was a silly it's just, argument. It's just a stupid argument, and it's uh, stupid that you know okay. you're clearly customers know if you're a bookseller if you're behaving like a bookseller. Yeah, you know, yeah. Or you can do. have a little sticker on your. And some some shops wear little yeah. yarn yards. Yeah. Big shops do, or they just feel that's a security blanket is what I call it. Um, hmm. But it's it's a, it's a reflection of how slow it is to change chains and change attitudes um, but also how deep grained some of these sort of crazy things can be and I can't remember when I got onto that you'd asked me a perfectly sensible question I gave you a long and irrelevant answer to well it's all got to do with uh, individual individuality I think yes and, uh, and, and that seems to be the key for uh, a lot of the things he's done uh, freeing up that independent spirit and and, Entrepreneurial, and, and, yeah, and trying to and, energy. And, but again, it, it, one of the things that I'm now working on, my big, which goes back to the pay thing, is I want to move. We have hourly pay, which is what all retail has, big retail in the United Kingdom. Mm. You work so many hours, you get paid per hour, and yeah. you have. But we have um, three levels of seniority come in as a bookseller, you get promoted to a senior, you get promoted to what we call a lead. So in your career, which most people do, they don't go into management, you will have two pay rises in 40 years or 30 years, however long you do it. As you get promoted, everybody's on the same. And it's mad. It's utterly and I just, I can't understand. Well, it's like a bureaucracy, because yeah. it seems like if one person is busting their tail and the other person is doing nothing and they make the same money, that's dispiriting. And that's how it works. In my own business, at Dawnbooks, we have performance royalty pay. Everybody has an individual salary, um, except for, so that's what most people have. And then the hourly people are, we do have a few, they are part-timers, weekend staff, people coming through which mm. we have a few of mm. otherwise you have a salary and if you work less than full time you have a pro rata salary and it's you have a review every six months and every year you have your salary reviewed and if you're good you get more and if you're not you stay the same you don't do commission then no okay. but I want that's what I want to that's what we're trying to work through at Waterstones at the moment and it's an interesting one where everybody's going it's unfair <laughs> they like the egalitarian side of it. They don't like the notion that performance-related pay means your performance is being assessed. They don't like meritocracy. <laughs> but they'll get there. It'll be like the uniform. It'll just take us a while. <laughs> just finally, uh, you've said that if a bookshop, if bookshops go, they'll they'll never come back. Um, I think what I mean by that is if if chain goes so you've got 280 big shops and many of them in really prime fabulous locations and in big shops those will never come back independence will spring up you'll have but independence will be like topping and like dawn books and like mr b's and and sando where you're in the back streets mm -hmm. and you know our big bookshops in newcastle and liverpool and edinburgh and glasgow and here and birmingham we've got big whacking great fantastic and expensive landmark bookshops 
they will never come back if they close. There's no way that any independent could run those. The financial risk, the landlords, plus also they'll turn into an Apple store or a, you know another retailer or get them in. So bookshops Amazon. are... They're getting into bricks and mortar yeah, a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, small shops. Mm, um, yeah. You know, I, I, I hesitate ever to write Amazon off, but then they're, they're not yet what, what any book lover would call a bookshop. No. They're something mm. else. Mm. Um, but yes, they, of course, would have the financial power to do so. But if we were to lose those you know, absolutely amazing shops, the Brighton shop, the, you know, we got one everywhere. Um, <laughs> We, those won't come back. The little shops in the small towns, they're, they're fine. You know, independence would replace them in time. It would all readjust. But, but the big metropolitan shops, they don't come back, which would be a great shame. So you just have to stay in business then? It's yeah, we have to, to stay to business. And I think the parallels with libraries in this country where, you know, a, a little subset, which you hopefully don't know anything about, uh, but one, of the, one, of, one of the shames mm. of, of our current... Um, situation is is so many libraries are being closed and again they won't come back and if you you have these particularly these neighborhood things a lot of them set up with Carnegie endowments and and how they feel that they can justifiably sell a Carnegie library for money to get them through a little moment when they need a bit of which they then fritter away on rubbish and then there's no library yeah. And it is—it's a real catastrophe going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it's self-inflicted. Um, like because services. libraries are so much more than book lending. They are. Um, I think. You know, I think if one was sort of brutal about which I am, then libraries should be looking to themselves and to justify themselves and be fighting harder to to use their resource in a, in a sensible way. But nonetheless, councils, because it's devolved to to, to the local government level, mm. are selling off real estate. And and canning the library and it's it's yeah. awful okay let's not leave it on that one <laughs> um, um, I, but, but I am op- I'm very optimistic I think um, yeah, given where we were seven years ago mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. well your profit's up 80% is that the number I read. Yeah, so you always get large percentages with small amounts of money, of course. Yeah, sure enough. Um, but I'd much rather when somebody says, "Oh, your profits are up ten percent," because it means I'm making quite a lot. Mm. Um, but the we we were the business was bust. I mean, mm. losing substantial amounts of money, about to close, and then Kindle came along, which yeah. was a huge problem. And then you took on Kindle and sold it for how long? Did you do that for? That was again, in the store. We not for very long, uh, and that was again entirely about the psychology of my booksellers, which I don't think nobody understood at the time. Um, it was I had a group of booksellers who were who were pretty traumatized. I mean, a they knew they were on that they had come to the brink of bankruptcy. Mm. I'd come in. We did a brutal initial um, cost cutting. We I think very intelligently, and I think the one thing I would be most proud of is the way that I sack people. We did it, um, which is never a nice thing to do, no. and is, is, is traumatic and ghastly, but we did it not in the way that some people do it, which is just to take out layers, and it's... Did, to, sorry? Take out layers of people. Uh, That's yeah. how traditionally right. people do it. Yeah. And, you know, it's gone on at, at BNN recently, uh, mm. where they just took out a layer of you know this this level of... Uh, and we, I didn't do that at all. I 
said, right, you know, the whole bang lot of you are going into consultation and we're, we, we can't afford to employ you all. Uh, we don't need to employ you all. Sales have dropped massively. Mm. Um, so for both those reasons, you are all going into consultation and we are interviewing you and the very best of you we will keep. And those of you who want to and are motivated and really care about this business will stay. And those of you who are either we don't think are very good or really don't want to will go. Um, and it was traumatic, because it always is, but we definitely lost sort of 90% of the people we lost were people who weren't committed to the business mm -hmm. for, in, in, in one way or the other, mm. which made it much easier. Um, but I've, going back to your Kindle problem there, we had that going on, we had sales dropping substantially with the success of Kindle, and we had a, a workforce who were frightened of it. They, they thought it was bad. I don't think Kindle's bad. I think reading's good. That's what we're in the business for. If people mm. read in libraries, if people read on Kindle, we should accept that and, mm. and actually be pleased about it. Yeah. So it's, just another, you, it's just another, another package. It's just another medium. Packaging. Whether of, we of the reading, yeah, and we, we we just need to harness it and work with it and say, well, yes, of course you're using your Kindle, but you still got to come into my bookshops and choose books, and mm -hmm. you might read some of them in Kindle and you'll read some of them physical, but and you but, wanted to provide the best, and you thought this was the best. No, I just wanted to the best not, Kindle. I the wanted best my e booksellers not to be frightened of the Kindle. Mm. And that's quite difficult. How do you, you can, so I started off by saying, we're not frightened of Kindle, it's good. Kindle's mm. fine, people are reading. Mm. But all they wanted to do was close their doors and if somebody took out their phone, they'd go, Christ, they're gonna photograph the book and then order it on Kindle and it was all bad. But, and by bringing Kindle in and saying, yeah, here it is, there's nothing to be frightened about, sell it, it's fine. I think it, it lifted the fear of Kindle and this sort of sense of doom that this sort of thing was just going to eat them and kill them mm. and, and also sort of demystified it and that was why rather than mm. selling a few more Kindles I think they were going to sell anyway mm. but the, 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 the controversial thing was not doing Nook or Kobo you know, in, in joining the alliance against Amazon. And that was because I fundamentally believe that actually at the end of the day, you've got to work in the interests of your customer. And I couldn't see how either of those platforms were truly going to compete with Amazon. And then you'd be selling a product you didn't really believe in, which we should never do otherwise. And that would have just exacerbated the problem for my booksellers, not solved it. Yeah. Uh, and the, f in the fullness of time, I think, has shown that that was, broadly speaking, probably the right call. Any uh, final thoughts then on uh, the reasons for your success? Well, also the reasons why I think that, that we should feel optimistic is that if you can create enjoyable bookshops, energetic bookshops, as I say, bookshops in which the booksellers are, are having fun and know that, they're, that it's all working for them and that their customers are enjoying life in the shop and sales are going up, not down, if you if you get that, you you get yourself into a virtuous place where mm -hmm. the way that you're able to start doing more events. We we never used to do events like this. Not like you know we're looking at a, a sheet of, of really quite interesting and diverse events. They're not signings then, which are, which are a passive event. These are talks. These mm. are discussions between two authors taking place in an evening. Um, it's an intellectual uh, engagement. Yeah, and, a... and we're in a big shop, so in fact you've got 
two or more going on on the same day, and more will be dropped in. You, you, there are evenings when you've got five or six events going on wow. in this shop. Yeah. And they're doing dance classes and things that aren't about books as well. They're just interesting things. It, it's a really fun place to go. Mm. And I think mm -hmm. if, if we've, we're harnessing that up and down the land, we've got something that's going to endure and it doesn't really matter we can now we're we're facing the prospect of a serious economic dislocation and retail downturn we've got shops closing around us at things you know the headlines are really dire in this country mm -hmm. but we're feeling you know and i'm feeling yeah i don't like that i'd much rather it was positive news and and a, and a benign environment but notwithstanding that i'm feeling very confident that we will sail through that Mm. And we've got some of our most challenged and, and just dreadful locations for shops. Um, I use Newport Gwent as, as an example, which is in Wales. It's a just, it's a very beautiful high street um, that's been destroyed by the council and by people moving out. So there's an empty, huge, empty department store. It's really wonderful Victorian buildings. One was a VHS went bust. One was an M&S. They moved to the out of town shop. One was a big department store, went bust, uh, Debenhams, which is going to close. We've got about a third of the buildings actually in occupation. Two-thirds shuttered up, so not even. I mean, it really is like you see f photographs of sort of wasteland locations. That's what it's like. Uh, there isn't even a McDonald's. There's, a, there's just a few fast food things and a few banks and then us. And our sales haven't changed. <laughs> They've stayed pretty much smack on. Nice team. It's a community place. Bit of an elderly client base because the employment in the town has been stripped out of it. But they're selling books. It's a refuge. You go in there after 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It's full of teenagers who've just come out of the schools because there ain't anywhere else to go. It's selling stuff. And it's mm. a real hub of a community. And it's become... Coffee shop, I imagine. No, no. no. no it's a, this is a small... Okay really down at heel place mm. we haven't spent anything on it I'm afraid mm -hmm. don't but have to I guess. don't have to because it needs good booksellers in there who are enjoying what they're doing who are keeping their shoplifting down because it's that sort of a place but just keeping it as a friendly place and it's part of the community and, and I think the very fact that it's part of the community is keeping this commercial engine going as well as a community side to it mm. and we got that as well as these kind of places where it's just fizzing Mm -hmm. And frankly, if you're young, 23, and you need to go and pick up somebody, where better to come? Come yeah. to the bookshop. You've got a conversation to be made, and it's full of young people having fun. And I think that demographic thing, you come into these shops, they're full of young people. Mm -hmm. We walk out there now. I, I saw it, yeah. I felt old. Yeah, you do. They're mm -hmm. all in their 20s. Yeah. It's, it's a place, and that's what I mean about energy. It, mm -hmm. it's, it's energy's coming from the, the customer base here. They're just young people having a and they look amazing yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. and you feel it's really old but but it's it's a fun place to be and if we can keep that going up and down the line which we are we're not we're not closing shops we're opening shops yeah you know, that's and really you're planning on more thing. opening and quite more. a few more yeah. yeah well that's terrific and uh i uh i i know why that you know your company is successful it's because you are so enthusiastic and uh it's contagious well i think i'm i'm freeing up and i've been lucky enough to have 
you know, the, the, the booksellers who are here, there's just so many people who are really good at the thing. And it mm. was just giving them a bit of confidence and lifting their mm. spirits yeah. and letting them get on with it. Um, it's sort of, it's a great job. The, the less you do, the better you are. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll let you get on with it. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you for, uh, for taking the time to talk to me. It's been, uh, it's been lots of fun. Thank you very much. I've been speaking with James Daunt. Thanks again. Thank you very much. Thank you.